Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today, and we thank you that we get to come and worship. Uh, We thank you for the rain and for the morning and for our lives. We thank you for Jesus and the scriptures and for who you are. We thank you for time together, and we thank you that we can worship you and know you and praise you, uh, even when things are difficult, Lord. Uh, We thank you for your encouragement and joy and peace and love. I pray, Lord, that you open up our hearts and our minds today as we read your word and talk about your scriptures. Help us to leave here changed and encouraged. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we, as we continue the Advent uh, season, we are going to be talking about or continuing in Luke. Um, so today we're going to talk about when Angel Gabriel, spoiler alert, uh, when Angel Gabriel come and shares the announcement of uh, the birth of Christ to Mary. And so that's why we're kind of going to hang out in today. Uh, but it's good to know just birth announcements in general or gender reveals within our culture. It's like a really uh, popular thing, right? When, when a family becomes pregnant, they get really excited about sharing the news. And nowadays, it's more and more unique about how they share it. Uh, the gender, when they're pregnant, and so forth. People spend a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of energy trying to find out what's the most creative way that we can let all of our family know uh, that we're pregnant or someone is pregnant. Um, and also, if it's not posted on social media, did it really happen, right? And so you got to post it on social media, and we have like these processes of, of what to do when someone is pregnant. And the announcement of Mary's uh, pregnancy parallels scripture actually quite a bit. This isn't the first unique pregnancy that we hear from the scriptures. If we look, if we go all the way back to Abraham, God revealed himself to Abraham that he, his wife would give birth at 90 years old and he was 100 years old. And usually birth announcement in scripture sort of follow the same line. Uh, angel appears or God appears, somebody appears to them and says, hey, you're going to have a son. This is their name, and then this is their destiny. And this is continual thing. And that's what happened with Abraham, uh, with his son Isaac. And then it also happened with Hagar, same thing. When she was pregnant, an angel or God appeared to her and said, you are pregnant, you're going to have a son, this is his name, and then this is his destiny. Uh, last week, when we talked about the angel Gabriel coming to Zechariah, he did the same thing, right? Uh, your wife is going to become pregnant You're going to name him John, and then this is the destiny. And in the same way, when Mary uh, learns about her pregnancy, it follows the same path. But what's unique about the announcement of who Jesus is, it also shows that Jesus is superior in multiple ways. And we're going to talk about that later today. The first thing is a virgin birth, which we're going to talk about later. The second thing is the birth of Christ was prophesied 700 years before even Jesus came to be in Isaiah seven fourteen, And then God became flesh, or, or we like to call it incarnation, where God came from heaven, he came to earth, and in so doing, the way of salvation, the kingdom, everything, the Messiah, everything has arrived in Jesus. So although there are unique ways, there are clear differences in the story, which makes Jesus unique or supreme or different, because there is something different about Jesus. There is something unique about him. And so we got to ask what that is and why is that so? And so today I'm going to welcome up uh, two special guests. We have the angel Gabriel himself, and we have Mary that are going to join us in our reading of our text. So going to welcome up Matt and Tiara. It's good to have both of them. So we are going to be in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 30. 
or 28 to 36. It'll be on your screen, and we're going to read it together. So, again, Angel Gabriel and Mary, I'm going to be narrator, and we're going to read through our text together. Starting in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Thank you. So now we're going to take, the, take this text verse by verse, and we're sort of going to see what God has for us. So jumping back to the beginning in verse 26, it simply says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So here shows the angel Gabriel. He also showed up in our previous text. Gabriel is closely related in the book of Daniel, which is in the Old Testament, to prophecies. And so within scripture, um, angels are not extremely common. God doesn't always use angels to announce things. Uh, and so they're sort of unique in a lot of ways. Although angels do exist now and we interact with them according to Hebrews 12 too. Uh, yet when angels are in scripture, it's sort of unique. And so when it happens, it's something to really listen to. It's usually God ushering something very important. And so here we have the angel Gabriel coming and because God sends him to Mary, but specifically to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. This is interesting because Nazareth back in this time is a very small city. Um, and also it's good to know as we think about when Gabriel came to Zechariah, uh, he came to Zechariah in sort of a worship service type of thing. Uh, it was just Zechariah. He came to the holies of holies and he appeared to him and it was sort of a big deal. Then there was a sign that he couldn't speak. But yet in this text, when angel Gabriel appears to Mary, it's, it's her alone by herself in a small town. And it's simple and it's humble. And it's a reflection of the life and ministry of Jesus. Simple, humble, and yet powerful. And so when he appears, he was very specific in his appearing to Nazareth. And then it says, so Gabriel goes to Nazareth to a virgin in verse 27, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. To a virgin pledged to be married to Joseph. So, the angel appears to Mary, who is pledged to be married to Joseph. There we have the state of Mary, a virgin. And this is an important fact, because much like the resurrection, is this separates Jesus from everyone else. Since the history of time, there has been no person that has been born of a virgin. It just has not happened. It's physically impossible. And yet Jesus can turn the impossible to possible, much like the resurrection. Everyone has died. All of our fates are sealed at some point. 
Although in scripture, some people rose from the dead, but we wouldn't call that a resurrection. We'd call it a resuscitation because eventually they all died. Uh, but unlike Jesus, he, he died and then he lived again, just like the virgin birth. It makes it unique and it separates him from all other gods, all other prophets, all other people. There's something unique about the person of Jesus. And then the second thing is, as all people have been born, yet Jesus was the only one to be born of Mary. And then it says specifically, God came to Mary, who was um, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And so this is significant because in the olden times, you know how now, much like we announce babies, when we get engaged, it's sort of a big deal, right? The location, the place, the photos, everything else. When Sarah and I, before when we were dating, um, she told me, uh, if when we get engaged, there needs to be another person there because I want it to be captured by photo. And so I knew, okay, I have to have a person there. But it's really hard to make things unique when she sort of already plans it. So on the day of our engagement, I proposed to her at Disneyland. It just so happened that my friends were also there. And she was like, yeah, he's going to propose today because we were sort of talking about it. And so it was like, I could, it couldn't be a unique experience. But at this time, when it says that Mary is pledged to Joseph, you could sort of consider them already bonded to each other. That's why when Joseph found out that she was pregnant, he was going to divorce her. Why would he need to divorce her if they weren't yet married? And so at this time, when they were pledged, they were sort of already sealed. Uh, they were just waiting for the wedding date. And so then we continue on to verse 38 and it says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It's important because at this time, between the last book of the Old Testament that we talked about last week, Malachi, until now, there was 400 years of silence. God wasn't speaking. He wasn't doing all those things that he normally did all throughout the Old Testament. And so everyone at that time is waiting for God to show up again, to do something uh, to reveal himself. And then here he reveals himself to Mary. And it says, greetings, you who are highly favored. Mary is highly favored. She doesn't do the favoring, but she herself is highly favored. And it says, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled. I don't know about you, uh, but I scare easily. And so I couldn't imagine for an angel to just appear. And it says she was greatly troubled. Uh, as a Jew or her understanding of the Old Testament scriptures, she had to realize that if an angel shows up, it's sort of a big deal. You don't know what's going to happen. Maybe it's a judgment. Maybe it's not. But either way, a big something's going to happen. And so she's nervous. All of these emotions are flowing through her. And then in verse 30, it says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. Once again, to reassure her, you are favored, opposite of judgment. This is a good conversation. Have you guys ever received a text from a spouse or a friend, we need to talk? Have you ever received that before? You automatically get anxious, and then you ask them, why do we need to talk? I'm sorry. I apologize. Like, I'm terrible. Uh, but then they'll say, oh, no, it's just about blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I don't know why I was stressed out. In the same way, Mary, who's stressed out in this moment, he reassures her again, you have favor with God. It's a positive in engagement and experience. And it's also good to know you will conceive and give birth to a son. You have to call him Jesus. Just like with Abraham, just like with Hagar, just like with Samson. 
um, just like with uh, Samuel, right? It's the, you're going to give birth. You're going to have a son. This is his name. And so Mary at this point, there's nothing really unique about her birth. She doesn't really understand the whole concept of what's really happening. So here you have Mary. God reveals himself to her. You're going to give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Jesus. And then verse 32, this is where it really gets into, right? Because it's, you're going to give birth, this is his name, and then this is his destiny. And now in verse 32, we talk about the destiny of who Jesus is and the character and nature of what he's going to do. And it says this in verse 32, and there are four descriptions of his destiny. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. So there are four descriptions here. One, he will be great. Two, he will be called the Son of the Most High. We could also call that Son of God. Third, God will give him the throne of his father David. And fourth, he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. So this is Jesus's destiny. This is what he's going to do. A quick thesis, a summary of the life of Jesus, what he's going to fulfill. And so brings us to our first point. Today, we're really going to talk about, it's about the life of Christ. Because you can't talk about the birth of Jesus without talking about the life of Jesus. And you can't talk about the life of Jesus without talking about his message and his death and his resurrection. And so it's really interesting to note that in the Gospel of Luke, he only spends two chapters kind of unpacking the birth of Jesus, genealogy, John the Baptist. In the Gospel of John, he spends zero verses on the birth narrative. He simply says, uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In Mark, he spends zero chapters. In Matthew, he spends about two chapters unpacking the Christmas story. But even within Luke and Mark, or uh, Luke and Matthew that have the birth narrative of Jesus, each of them really spend about two verses talking about Jesus. Have you ever been to a, um, a baby shower before? And so I've been there many times, and usually what happens is uh, all the moms start to talk about their story, right? Like uh, their birth story, who was there, how long it took, what happened, what the doctors were wearing, what emotions they were having. And it's like all these things that usually they discuss. Why? Because it was a significant moment to them. And yet when we look at the scriptures, though, uh, they don't really give much things besides she was pregnant, she gave birth, they wrapped them in cloths. And then they move on with the story. And you got to ask, why do they not spend a lot of time on this? And it's simple, because Jesus grew up. That's why. I don't know how many of you have ever seen Talladega Nights, uh, but it's this movie. I don't recommend it. Don't even ask why I've seen it. But there's this part where I think it's Christmas Day or maybe Thanksgiving, and they're all praying. And, and the main character starts praying to baby Jesus, and, and he's like eight pounds, like baby Jesus or whatever. Uh, and, and, but the significance of who Jesus is, is that he grew up. He didn't stay a baby. When we pray, right, the songs that we sang didn't say uh, baby Jesus. It says Lord Jesus. So when we pray and we look at the life of Christ, we have to look at it through the lens of his whole life, his birth, his life, his message, his death, his resurrection, his promises, the things that he shared, the totality of who Christ is. Because a lot of the times when it comes to Christmas, we enjoy the Christmas story, right? All of us enjoy it. There's a baby it's wonderful. There's hope. There's a star. There's some shepherds, this beautiful thing of redemption. Um, 
but yet, if all we look at is the baby Jesus without looking at his message and the call that he has on our lives, we sort of miss it. And that's not even half the story. That's about one-fiftieth of the story because Jesus did more when he was alive than when he was born. And so it's about the life of Jesus. We're going to slow down and talk about the destiny of who Jesus was with the four descriptive words. And the first one is going to be this. Angel Gabriel said, Jesus will be great. And that's what it says in verse 32. He will be great. In our last week, when Gabriel came to Zechariah and he talked about John the Baptist, it said, uh, John will be great before the Lord. And yet here with Jesus, it says, Jesus will be great. Why? Because the essence and character of who Jesus is, is not conditional on anything else, but he himself is great. His nature, his character, who he is and what he does, he is in himself great, which is extremely significant. So why is he great? What's so significant about it? It's also interesting because it says he will be great. Because we all know that Jesus eventually grew in Luke 2.52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. So he will be great. Because it's what he's going to do that's a significant thing. Which is what? That he's going to live to die. The purpose of Jesus, God incarnate, was to die. It was to come to live to die, to redeem us for our sins and our disobedience and our rebellion. The perfect person, the only perfect person that has ever existed, came to die. That was his life, and that is why he was great. Because on the cross, although he did nothing wrong, he took on all of our sin and all of our shame and all of our shortcomings. And on the cross, the wrath of God was poured on Jesus. And then when he died, he rose again, signifying that he can overcome death. And in Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So he will be great because of what he did and his character. In the scriptures, there is this man named Simeon. And so after Jesus is born, there's this uh, person who receives a promise. And God tells him, uh, before you die, you're going to see Jesus, which is really cool. And so he has no idea how he's going to see him. Maybe it's going to be the risen king. Maybe he's already in, uh, sort of taken over, but that's not really what happens. And so it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 30 to 32, Simeon sees Jesus. And this is what he says about Jesus, even though he sees him as a baby. He says this, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So he is not great simply because he was born, but because what he was going to do. And that's what Simeon says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, the salvation that comes in the baby Jesus who becomes Lord Jesus because of what he does with his life and who he is and his nature. So he is himself great. Second characteristic that angel Gabriel gives us is in verse 32. He is called the son of the most high. In verse 32 or 35, uh, Gabriel then calls him son of God. So son most high can also be considered son of God. And also it points to the supreme authority and character of who God is. If we had more time, I'd expand on that one, but we're sort of going to move through to the third one. And the next one says, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. I thought that this was really uh, significant. Jesus is going to receive the throne of his father, David. And this was established in two ways. 
One, Jesus' parents, both Joseph and Mary, were both descendants of David. In Matthew chapter 1, you see the genealogy of Joseph. In Luke chapter 3, you see the genealogy of Mary. And both were descendants of David, which is a promise uh, that God gave to David. This is significant because 1,000 years before Jesus was born, a man named David was born. And God told David, I'm going to establish my kingdom through you, 1,000 years before Jesus was born. And God kept his promise. Throughout all of those years, he kept his promise that the soon Messiah would come and reign. And this is what God said to David in Second Samuel chapter 7. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So the fulfillment of this promise was found in David's son Solomon, but furthermore, it was found in Jesus. 1,000 years before Jesus is born, a promise was given, and 1,000 years later, it was fulfilled. It doesn't, if this doesn't scream to you that God is a promise keeper, I don't know what will. 1,000 years, he kept his promise, and he was true to who he was, and Jesus is coming. This is so significant. And then the next thing, the fourth thing, it says, he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. First, King David's name is dropped, and David is a significant character. The next person that name is dropped is Joseph. I mean, sorry, it's Jacob, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. David was born a thousand years before Jesus. Jacob was born about 2,000 years before Jesus. And back then, God, through uh, Jacob's grandpa, said, I am going to establish a nation through you. And then Jacob had 12 sons, which is where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And so here it's significant because not only did he fulfill the promise from 1,000 years ago, but he fulfilled the promise from 2,000 years ago that I will give you Jacob's descendants forever. What does that mean? It means that God and Jesus will reign over God's covenantal people forever and ever and ever. And that's a promise. 2,000 years before Jesus was born. For us, 4,000 years ago, a promise that God would save his people, keep his people, hold his people, and the promise of eternal life for his people for 2,000 years. This is so significant. Because salvation only comes through Jesus. He's a descendant of David or Jacob. He's going to uh, receive all of his descendants forever. This is significant. We're going to continue on with the story after we learned about his destiny. And it says this in verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Mary, being a Jew, sort of understood what he was saying, but didn't really get it. I mean, it's a flood of information. There's overwhelming feelings. But yet she has one question. How will I conceive because I am a virgin? It's not a question of doubt. It's a question of wonder. How can this be? And then God says, or Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you. 
The creator who brought life out of nothing is able and capable to bring life from Mary um, in her virginity. This is significant, right? Because Jesus, unlike anyone else, comes through the virgin birth. And then it says this in verse 37. This is what Gabriel says. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. Our second point is this. God's word is true. So trust it. God's word and promises to you and to me are true. It seems sort of out of nowhere in this text uh, that angel Gabriel talks about Elizabeth. And he tells Mary, Elizabeth is in her sixth month and in her old age, she is pregnant and she's going to give birth to a son. It sort of seems like out of nowhere. Like, why would they add that? Why would they say that? I think in this moment, Mary needed to be reminded that God's word never fails. Not only is he a promise keeper to all of God's people, but he was a, he's a promise keeper to Elizabeth. He's a promise keeper to Mary. Not only a promise keeper, but a sustainer through difficult moments. And I think Mary needed to hear that. And I think I need to hear that. And I think we as a people need to hear that, that God's promises in scripture are true and his word will never fail. And so this holiday season, uh, although things can get complicated and things can get busy and things can get difficult and we can be anxious and worried about all the things that we have on our list to do, I want to encourage you to lean on the promises of God. And it's not a promise for good life. It's not a promise uh, that's filled with things. And it's not even a promise of happiness. There are so many promises within scripture, but with the birth and bringing of Jesus, it's a promise of salvation. For those who will repent from their sins and turn away and live for Jesus, dying to self, carrying our cross daily and following him, the promise is that you will inherit eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So I have to ask you, do you trust the scriptures? Do you really trust the scriptures? How much time are we spending in the scriptures on a day-to-day basis? Are we thinking about them? Are we talking about them? Are we memorizing them? Are we sharing them? The word says no word from God will ever fail. And so we can look back at years and years of promises fulfilled by God and his character and his nature. And we can think, wow, this is awesome. And it's just a book of promises Promises that have already happened and promises that are for the future. And not only that, but promises for the individual, for you and for me, that God is true to who he is. Uh, so I actually have a friend in SoCal who uh, won the lottery twice. Um, yeah, he played every single day. Um, he spent a lot of money. I did end up asking him, like, for all the money you spent, did you get, like, all the money back? And he's like, ah, uh, sort of. But anyway, if, if you knew the uh, five lottery numbers or whatever it is, if it was a 100% guarantee and you were told it, what would you do? You would play the lottery. If you knew which stock would make you millions and you could invest early, what would you do? You would invest early. And so, but the reality is, is nothing in this life is guaranteed. And a lot of the times, me personally, I chase after things that don't really matter. And I spend my time doing things that don't glorify God. And so everything in this life will surely fail. It will be gone. 
our families, our health, our jobs, our futures. But Jesus and his words are true. In the book of James, it says, we are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like someone who built his life on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell with the great crash because his life was set on the sand. But when we look at scripture and when we believe the scriptures and when we live the scriptures and when we apply the scriptures, we build our lives on rocks. So when the storms come of life and all these things are pressing on us and pulling on us, We can stay strong because we have built our lives on something that will last, something that's everlasting. Everything in this world will fade away. My car will eventually be in the junkyard. My house will be no more, right? My health will be gone. But the only thing that will last from now until eternity is God's word. And not only that, but his promises to you and me that he is everlasting, that in him is eternal life, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is not just a way. He is not just a truth. He is not just a life. But he is the way, the truth, the life. There's only one, and it's only found in Jesus. And so we can rest assured that his words will never fail. We can be encouraged in times of difficulty. We can be encouraged when things don't look great that God has us. There are so many promises in Scripture that we can hold on to because his words will never fail. One of my favorite promises is in Psalms, and it says, uh, in the day of trouble, you will call on me and I will rescue you and you will worship me. In times of difficulty, I'm able to lean on scripture. When I don't understand and the world doesn't make sense because it never will, I look at scripture and I look through the lens of scripture because I know God's word will never fail. Flowers will fade, the grass will wither, but God's word will never fail. And the promise to Mary, God's word will never fail is important and significant. So let's put our stock into something that will never fade away, into the kingdom that will never end, in the king that is ruling and reigning over us and over our lives. So what does it look like to put our trust in a kingdom that will never end? Well, let's look at Mary. How will this be, she asks. And then in verse 38, this is what she says. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant, a bond servant, God's handmaid. Lord, whatever you will do in my life, do. I am the Lord's servant. And I think she responded like this, not because she's holier than us, not because she had a better relationship with God with us, not because she had more scripture memorized, but I think she responded like this because of the promises of who God is and his character. Because he just told her that I fulfilled the promise from a thousand years ago and two thousand years ago. And I now have a promise now to Elizabeth that's going to come to pass. And so what I'm going to do, I am going to do. And so in that moment, she felt encouraged and she says and she responds because she got to see a glimpse of God's character and his nature and who he is. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your will to me, may your word to me be fulfilled. And our third point is this. Don't let your circumstances determine your faithfulness. There will always be reasons why not to read our scriptures. There will always be reasons why we shouldn't pray. There will always be reasons why we shouldn't go to church. 
right? There, there's just continual reasons not to do things. But don't let your circumstances determine your faithfulness. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and who he is. Because when we look at our circumstances, we can get discouraged. I think of Peter in the New Testament. Uh, when Jesus was, when they were in the boat, the disciples, and Jesus was out in the water, and they were scared of him because they thought that he was a ghost. And then uh, Peter says, Lord, if it is you, call me out and I will come to you. And Jesus says, okay, come on, Peter. And then what does Peter do? He walks out on the water. But does he walk the whole way? No. Why? Because he's distracted. So instead of keeping his eyes on Jesus, he starts looking out at the waves and he realizes, oh, this is scary. Oh, wait, I have this issue. Oh, this problem is going on. And so when he took his eyes off Jesus and he started looking at his circumstances, that affected his faithfulness. And so same thing like us, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and his character and who he is. Because the more knowledge we have of God, the stronger our faith will be. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 6, if you don't know the book of Daniel, it was this guy obviously named Daniel. And he lived in a culture that was completely anti-Jesus. Not very many worshipers. There were not open churches. Nobody really prayed. Nobody really followed God. He lived in a culture uh, that did whatever they wanted. They worshiped whatever gods they wanted. They did whatever was right in their own eyes. And in Daniel chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Those who know their God will be strong. And so for us, the significance of Jesus is that he was born, but his message and his life and his death and his resurrection. So when life gets difficult and life gets hard, don't focus on your circumstances. Focus on your God, because that will drive you through to to more faithfulness. And it won't be easy and it will be difficult, but don't let your circumstances determine your faithfulness. One last note about the scripture that I want to make is it seems like we overcomplicate the story of Mary saying she's, she's super faithful. She's, she really follows God with this difficult task and it was difficult. But I think sometimes we can boil it down as God told her to do something. She said, okay. And same thing with us. We were all given commands and things to do the way of Jesus that are found in the scriptures. So it's as simple as reading it and following it. But sometimes we overcomplicate it and say, Lord, what is that one big thing you want me to do? What is that one big thing that I am called to do? What is my grand purpose in life? Instead of asking that question, we should simply ask, God, what in my day-to-day that I need to submit to you? What in my day-to-day that I need to be more faithful in or give over to you? And that's the question that we should ask. And it's interesting because when we ask God, how can I transform my day to day to faithfully follow you? In so doing, God is going to position you to do the things that are bigger and greater, but you won't even know it because you're simply following the basics of what he's called us to. And so don't let your circumstances determine your faithfulness. And we can look at God and his nature and think you are great. You are awesome. And the more we learn about who God is and his character, the more that will drive our faithfulness. And so I want to encourage those who are struggling or those who feel distant from God. Know the story of Jesus is a story of redemption. When Jesus showed up and he came, he didn't come to a people that were super faithful. One of the saddest verses in all the Bible, in my opinion, is in John chapter 1, where it says, although Jesus came, nobody recognized his character. 
right? Nobody acknowledged him. Nobody loved him. In Romans 3, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5 says, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So know that there's redemption in the promises of who Jesus is. And that's what I love about Jesus. Because, because even in my unfaithfulness, he remains faithful. And even when I falter and I fall, which is often, he offers grace and forgiveness. Because just as much when Peter was sinking because he was looking at his circumstances, Jesus came and raised him back up. And in the same way, that's the story of who Jesus is, is get, get right with Jesus again. Follow Jesus with your life. Die to self and give up everything you have for God. And in so doing, right, we will be faithfully following what God has commanded us to do as followers of Jesus. And so if you're not in that place, I want to encourage you to take time today and think about it. What else can I do or how can I get right with Jesus again? If you are faithful and you feel like, yes, amen, find others around you. And that's the point of church as a community. We're all supposed to be in life together to faithfully follow Jesus and all that he has for us. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for who you are and what you've done. I thank you for your life and your message. I thank you for Mary. I thank you for your promises in scripture that you are who you are and that your word will never fail. Although we will, Lord, you will always remain faithful through the years and generations past us. Just as much as you are faithful through the generations before us, you are a promise keeper and we hold on to the promise that your word will never fade. And we will see you when it is our time, Lord. We love you and we thank you. Bless the rest of our worship. In Jesus' name I pray.